Joseph, wake up, wake up, wake up. You know, those were the words that I could hear God speaking to my life uh, when I was living in a slumber. Wake up, wake up were the words that God would speak to me when he wasn't the priority of my life. Wake up, wake up, wake up were the words that God would speak to me when I was young, when I was foolish, and when I was tempted to let sin be actually the direction of my life that would destroy me. And even now, I still hear the words, wake up, wake up, wake up, whenever God is not truly the number one priority in my life. As you think about those words, wake up, wake up, wake up, I believe they relate directly to the season of time and the season of life that we live in, because we are living in what I would call an uncertain and difficult season, uh, where we may be asking, where in the world is God? in the midst of the chaos that we live in. And some of us may be more strong-minded than others, or some of us may have our good days and our bad days, but yet and still we all might be asking that same question, where is God in the midst of all of this? Well, today I believe that God is actually saying to each and every one of us in some form and capacity to wake up, wake up, wake up. Turn with me to your Bibles uh, to the book of John, Chapter 9, and together we'll read verses 1 through 7. That is, the book of John, chapter 9, and together we'll read verses 1 through 7. I'll turn here myself and read with you. Verse 1 in chapter 9 reads, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents sinned, that he was born blind, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then verse 4, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the eyes of the blind man with mud, and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. So the man who was blind went, and when he washed, and he came back, he was seen. Dear Lord, thank you that you've given us an opportunity to read your scriptures. I pray now that as we begin to open them up and allow you to speak to us, that you do us with tremendous power. I pray that these words of scripture be words that enlighten us, that gives us an understanding of this season and this time, which you may be doing not only in our lives, but in the lives of others that you may want us to engage with and interact with. And so, Lord, when you are able to begin to speak to us and, and comfort us and share what, what this season means in our life, I pray that we are able to understand it, and we do. We are able to walk with it in the way that you call us to walk, and that, that there may be success with the words that you've given to us today. And when you do that, let us give you praise. Let us give you glory. 
Let's give you honor. In Jesus' name, I pray. So the first thing that, that I wanted to look at as we think about this passage is verse 1. And verse 1 talks about a man who was born blind. And, and what is unique about verse 1 is Jesus was simply passing by. And as Jesus passed by, he saw the man who was born from birth. And, you know, brings up the question, you know, what's the significance of Jesus passing by and this man us understand that this man was born blind ever since his birth. Well, you and I, I believe, we can understand very, very clearly when something is right and when something is wrong. And I think that this passage shows us that Jesus understood also very clearly that there wasn't something right about a man being blind, uh, even in the age of understanding that blindness does exist. And so when I, I make that point is because we live today in an age and we live in a couple of weeks and, and months of, of, that we are living where none of us would believe that this virus is right. And when I mean right, that we, we don't believe that this is necessarily God's plan and God's will for all of us to live in a way where viruses may come and attack our body, viruses may become an opportunity to shut down businesses. And so God is, is, is still in the midst of this situation. And I want to ask a question, what will God do in the situation that we live in, will he be able to pass by like he is looking at the blind man and being able to do something just as we have read in this passage? And so when we think about that, uh, the first step that we go into understanding what Jesus Christ begins to do is, is thinking about the context of this conversation as it begins and engages with his disciples. And the disciples in verse 2 asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, if you're like me, you probably run across this conversation not only with yourself, but also with people who potentially ask their question of their children. You know, if um, you have ever talked to someone who is a parent and, and maybe their child has a mental illness or deformity, or maybe that person is actually even walking a life outside of the way that they were raised, in a biblical and godly way, but now we're living in a life of sin, you may ask that question, is it the individual's fault, or is it the person who raised that individual, is it their fault that that person is living in a life that is not right? You know, I think that that's just a little bit of a sidebar, but it's a, it's a good question, because sometimes we understand as a society and a context, a system of right and wrong. And so we individually place that on the person who is living right or wrong, or maybe the influences that are sometimes around them. Well, Jesus Christ here, as you think about that question, begins to rightly help us understand that sometimes in life, situations are not about the individual that is affected or the individual that is currently at play. Verse 3 helps us be able to understand that because when they ask Jesus the question, who sinned? Was it the child or was it the parent? Jesus Christ asked, answered by saying these things. He said, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but simply that the works of God may be displayed in him. And so we're going to unpack that for a little bit because I think that that is the crux and that is the argument primarily where God is going to help us to get a little bit of enlightenment, to get a little bit of understanding of what is happening during these times. I want to introduce to us not only the idea 
that you and I understand the concept of right and wrong, a system of justice, and understanding that God actually plays to those rules as well. But sometimes I'm going to help us to understand that there is a theory that I'm going to introduce called the innocent bystander theory that is part of the right and wrong system of God. And innocent bystander theory maybe best works like this if I can give you an illustration. And I would define it before I give you this illustration as an innocent bystander is simply a person who wasn't involved in the events or actions that harmed them. Okay? A person who wasn't involved in the events or actions that involved them. So here's a way to think about that. Say a man and his son are walking down the street on the way to the park. And as they're walking down the street, um, they are crossing one street to another street and going in, in, a, in a healthy safety, in a healthy safety manner through the crosswalk. But also out of nowhere, a reckless driver speeding down the street comes and is, is barreling toward both the father and the son. Now, the father, with the instincts of love and care, has decided to save his child and push the child out of the way. But in, as a result of that, tragedy occurs. Uh, the driver has barreled into the father and has actually killed that father. Now, this is an illustration to help us to, to see something very, very important. And what I want us to see is, is that if, if we were to understand after the police had come and done an investigation and, and find out the, the circumstances of this accident, to understand that the driver was driving under the influence of alcohol or a substance that actually impaired his vision, you and I rightly would probably say that that person de deserves to have judgment face them because of the fact that they were wrong in that situation. So I bring that up because you and I understand very, very clearly about the system of right and wrong. And we would believe that a person who is driving under influence and killed an innocent person because they were simply not acting in the right manner deserves justice to happen to them. Well, here's the reality. In the context of that justice system, there are also an innocent bystander. The innocent bystander is the child who is simply walking with his father during that day, and there's also the family that is involved as well. Both that child and the mother um, means that as innocent bystanders, the family has now lost a husband, the family has now lost a father, People have lost loved ones simply because of the results of one single person, one single act. And when that happens, that there are innocent bystanders, brokenness begins to happen in the lives of that family, in the lives of that child. You and I probably know that when an individual is not raised by a loving father or has an absent father in their life, things don't necessarily work out in the way that they should. You know, of course, there's ways that you can always make up that gap. But there's nothing that replaces the love that a father has for a child to be able to teach them how to live life, to be able to teach them how to talk to women in a way that's appropriate. And so there's a situation of brokenness that can no longer be void. That is what I'm describing as the innocent bystander theory, you know, where there is a circumstance that an individual is not necessarily a part of that begins to cause brokenness in their life. Now, how does that relate to you and I? How does that relate to this situation in, in this story? The man in this, this verse of Scripture is also an innocent bystander. God had actually shared with us 
that there was nothing that actually caused his blindness. There was nothing that actually caused um, it from his parents' sake as well. So we have to then go back and understanding how does this child actually become blind. I'm going to share with you that, that all the way from the beginning, because of what's called the original sin of mankind, you and I live in a broken world. We live in a world that has separated us from God. We live in a world that has caused us to no longer know how to follow God in the way that he would want us to follow him because we have not been given the fatherly instruction of how we are to obey him. But in addition to that, there's something that big is, that's happened because of the, uh, the original sin of mankind. The original sin of mankind has also caused a broken world. It has caused us to have sickness. It has caused us to have uh, death. And it has caused us to have disease in the world. And it has caused us, in cases, to have deformities and blindness, such as we see with this man in, in, in John chapter 9. So you and I, ironically enough, are all innocent bystanders to the original sin of mankind. And so daily we face this task of understanding how to live life based on the brokenness that we actually are faced to actually deal with. Now, as you think about that, it, it, it doesn't mean that we are innocent people but we are innocent bystanders to the original sin of mankind. Because once brokenness starts to happen in your life, if you're like me, you'll be honest with yourself with, with being able to say that there are times when you have not lived life the way that God has designed you to live it, and you have lived a life that, because you have not lived it that way, that's called sin. So we all are living outside of the way that God chooses us to live. And as we do those type of things, we are what I would call a product of our environment. You know, we are a result of the things that did not necessarily, we would want to have occurred, but because of the brokenness that results in our life, we are simply a product of the sin environment that we are wrapped up in. Well, here's what Jesus Christ begins to do. Jesus Christ in verse 3 not only tells us how God's perspective deals with you and I who are innocent bystanders of original sin. But he tells you and I that God has a solution for that problem. Because just as we believe that right and wrong and justice is good, we also don't always want the consequences that result to that. But there are still things that God is going to do to kind of intervene in our life. I bring that up because sometimes we are living in a day and age where people are asking great questions about God saying, why would people pray to a God who caused the problems that exist today? And so you and I can help them or help our own self with the understanding that sometimes we are really just innocent bystanders based on the way that sin was actually created in this world and the brokenness that results from it. So God is now trying to figure out ways, and not really figure it out, but he has a plan to be able to say, here's how I'm going to deal with with individuals who are innocent bystanders of original sin. And so here, look at me with me, verse 3. Jesus answered not only that it was not the sin of the man, nor the sin of, the, of his parents that were born, born blind, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. So God tells you and I that it is his duty, it is his responsibility to always run to the aid of those who are impacted by things that they didn't necessarily cause. And that is a beautiful word for us to understand that God is going to show up in situations like today 
because we are people who are living in a result of a broken world. We live in a virus-filled world. We live in a death-filled world. We live in a disease-filled world that God has answers to solve by coming to our aid. And that's something that we can actually give praise God for. I'm excited about that, so much so that I want to continue to share with us in a way that helps us to all see it. The second thing that God begins to, to say to us in verses 4 and 5 is really important. It's important for all of us who consider ourselves Christians and who consider ourselves followers of God. Because in verse 4 and 5, Jesus Christ says that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. And he's talking about God who sent, the, who sent Jesus Christ in the world to die for our sins and to begin to display to the world about the kingdom of God and the salvation that we have now rightly deserved in and can receive because of Christ Jesus. And also he says that night is coming when no one can work. In verse 5 he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now as you think about that, Jesus Christ is again explaining to you and I very, very clearly that he is going to come to the aid of those who need it, even when the world is actually broken and it's not their fault. And so we are living in, this, in an age where this virus is not our fault. You know, this situation, it is not because of things that we have done that, that God is actually causing that, but we, again, live in a broken system where God is actually sharing with us the opportunity to tell us that he's going to come to our aid. But as he does this, he says to us something very important in verses 4 and 5, that we must work the works of God. And when he talks about we, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about those who are actually followers of God, who actually believe in him for salvation and are on his side consistently at all times. Now, when he says we, that means that we've got a job to do, that we've got a job to do the same thing that Jesus Christ did in this verse of Scripture, which is to come to the aid of someone who actually needs to be able to understand that God is going to be there for them and then show them the way of help. You know, it's very, very clear. And so we have believing as a church that maybe that this is a season that God is using for what we call renewal, where God is using for revival, where God is saying that my people haven't always stood up to the challenge of being able to go out and help those who are not able to help themselves or help those who I would call the innocent bystanders of original sin. So God is now giving us a new opportunity, a new challenge to be able to say, Wake up, wake up, wake up. It is your time. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It is your time. So, so that is our challenge, to think about being able to say, we'll be on God's side. We'll begin to do the things that God has actually called us to do. Because there are many people who live life, I would say, like, like in a way that is a product of their environment, a product of the brokenness that we live in today. Now, I want to share with us, once again, the burden that we have at Common Bond Church. And one of the burdens of Common Bond Church is an understanding that even though we live in one of the greatest cities in the world, uh, where before this pandemic we had a great rodeo where people from all around the world would actually come to participate, people from all around the world would come to our sporting events, we've got renowned, renowned restaurants, we've got arts, and we've got entertainment that uh, is really doesn't rival in other cities, except for a few in this world. 
But the, the burden that we have at Common Bond Church, even in the midst of all the greatness of Houston, God is always sometimes ancillary and secondary in our lives. Even in our families. You know, we may say that we are people who worship God and, and love God, but we don't always put God first place in our life. You know, even in our businesses and even in the way of our career, God is asking us in every single facet of life to make sure that I'm a priority. Here's two ways that sometimes we as people and we in our community don't always make God the priority in our life. You know, take, for instance, relationships. When we make God the priority, we've decided to understand that his expression of the way that life is supposed to be is the way that I'm going to follow. And so what that means for us in, in many cases is that um, for relationships, for example, God's word and God's plan for a man and a woman is actually to live in harmony with one another, one another sexually only on the basis of marriage. But if you and I are living outside and making God the priority, what we'll do is something completely different. We will figure out a way that is contrary to God's way, and that makes us disobedient to God, and that makes us turn away from God in a way that, in our natural minds, we don't think that anything is wrong, but God is saying that you've rejected me. You've lived in a way that I haven't called you to live. You know, the second thing that we do is that God has actually called us to use our gifts, our talents, and our skills in a way that always honors him and glorifies him. But sometimes we don't do that as well. Instead, we go to the same playbook, which is that we prioritize ourselves instead of prioritizing God. And when we do that, we make our happiness in our skills and our happiness in our talents and our happiness in our bank accounts the, the focus of what we actually end up doing with our skills, talents, and resources in life. And God, again, tells us that we are rejecting him when we do, when we do those things. So here's an opportunity that I would say that God is giving both the unbeliever, those who don't walk with God today, but also giving those who walk with God but are wrapped up in life in a way that doesn't always put in the priority. God is telling you and I, wake up, wake up, wake up, because I need you guys to get it right. Because the priority of why God has actually created us is, again, shown in verse 5 where he begins to tell us that you are salt and light in the world, because first, I was salt and light in the world. And that's the scripture where Jesus Christ begins to tell us. Verse 5 says that he was the salt and light of the world. Now, we are the salt and light in the world because we are an extension of him. So God is saying it is our responsibility to begin to reveal to others who need God revealed in their life, who are walking in a life in a system of brokenness, how God can change your life in a heartbeat in a moment, based on his grace and his goodness. That's our challenge. Are we up for it? So, as you think about those things that are very, very challenging, uh, I, I, I say that very consistently in a very strongly, in a very bold way, because I think that is what primarily the season of why we are sitting idle today. Because God is trying to wake us up from a slumber. And as long as we are plugged into the situations and we are plugged into these systems that we consistently involve ourselves in, it is sometimes hard for us to get out of that deep sleep. But I'm reminded today of, 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 of mom waking me up, waking me up, waking me up, that sometimes it takes a little bit of nudging for us to get out of that slumber. 
And so today, God is using opportunities to awaken us. And I think that we are all awakened to be able to say, God, I see that something is happening. What do you want to share with me? I think that's what he's saying. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Let's look at verse 6 as we begin to uh, finish our conversation today about how God can actually use us during this season of toughness and this season of crisis. Verse 6 says, Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. Now, as you see that, um, that verse in 6 and then 7, I find that very fascinating uh, because it really shows us something profound in a simplistic way. You know, God's power alone can change the situation. And there is nothing really special about mud. You know, there's nothing, there's no properties in it that would make us say, oh, I can go bottle up some mud at the, at the, at the place of Siloam and begin to sell it because it's going to give people sight for their eyes. No, no, no. There's nothing special at all about mud. But what is special is the fact that God himself touched it. And whenever God touches a situation, whenever God touches something, it is place, he places his anointing in that something that is no longer special now becomes special because God has touched it. In the situation that we live in today, God is doing something that is very, very simple. You know, he can, he can take the most simplistic things and actually make something magnificent from it. And that's what we see in this verse of Scripture. Because the mud wasn't supposed to have any property, but God actually changed the reality. Today, God is saying us to the same thing. And I find it very fascinating that some of the basic guidelines that we've been given by health officials is simply to do something that you and I should already have been doing, which is simply to wash our hands. Something very, very simple. Just staying at home, and it'll be able to, to change the course and direction of our life. Some something simple, but something miraculous can actually come out of that. So today, if you are watching by video and you have an opportunity to be able to hear what we are saying, and, or if you're just listening by audio, and you have heard words that, that, that have touched your heart, if you have heard words that, that say that, I didn't realize that I was an innocent bystander, and I've been walking in brokenness all my life. Well, God is saying to you, and he's saying to us, that there is a way that we have an opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ today for the remission of sin. And when we do, he will do the same thing that he did to the blind man, which is to bring you back into a relationship with him that helps you to see that your brokenness no longer has to be brokenness ever again. But you can actually now begin to see who God wants you to be and be able to start to receive the healing that you actually need for your broken life. And today, if you are already a Christian, there's still a wake-up call for you and I as well. And the wake-up call primarily revolves around you and I trying to figure out, will we make God the priority of our life as God has always intended us to do? Now, some of us love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but when that practically plays out in our life, we can see gaps and we can see cracks in our life where we haven't really placed God as a priority. And so then we've got to ask ourselves the question, in my home, have I made God the priority? In my relationships with people, 
Have I made God the priority? In my career, have I made God the priority? In my finances, have I made God the priority? Have I decided that it's not always about my way, but first I'm going to make sure every single area of my life is about God's way first before it's about my way. And when we do that, God says that we are now truly becoming the disciples, that the followers of God that he has always intended us to be. And that's a wake-up call for us. It's a wake-up call for us to spend this season that God has graciously given us in the comfort of our home, in safety, to figure out, am I truly following him in a way that God desires for me? That's a blessing that God is able to do that in this way and not in a way that actually truly dangers us. So today, as we finish up and as we wrap, you know, I, I remind us all that uh, we will be following the guidelines that health officials have given to us. And so right after this, you know, after we clean up and, and we move to another area, I'll probably be in the bathroom and I'll be washing my hands. And I'm probably sure that you'll be washing your hands as well. And when you wash your hands throughout the day and over the next few days, I ask you to remind yourself of this same man in John chapter 9 who simply washed his eyes and he was made clean. Use that time of washing to remind yourself that God washes us from our past, that God washes us from a brokenness into a life that he desires us to be. Because when we do that, it will remind us consistently that we are blessed people, that we have a gracious God who loves us, that he has used the circumstances of us being innocent bystanders from all the way from the beginning of original sin to be able to say, I'm going to reconcile you back to me in a way that actually makes you whole and makes you live life in a blessed way so that you can actually truly receive all the blessings that I have always intended you to receive. Now, that's a blessing for us. I'm excited that, that we'll be able to do that. I believe that you'll do that. I believe that we'll do that here in our home because we are going to use this season in a fruitful way. God is going to change our lives for the better because he has given us a wake-up call. He is saying to you and I, wake up, wake up, wake up. I encourage you not to hit the snooze button, not to continue to slumber, but to actually heed the call that he has actually given us today to wake up.